Great. Oh, thanks. Um, well, thanks for coming back on the third day. I really appreciate it. Um, it'd be really uh, awkward otherwise, wouldn't it? It was just me and the tune-up team and no one else. There'd be so many difficult questions. Um, so thank you for coming. And um, it's an amazing thing, isn't it, that so many um, of you are here wanting to find out more about Jesus and and uh, being a people who want to discover faith together and to uh, work out what it is that God is doing in the world and what he's calling you to do in the world. And I, I think we all have those questions. So it's so good to be uh, to be with you again. Uh, we're going to do Romans 6 today. And uh, what I want to talk to, to you about today is uh, the call of the gospel to come alive. Uh, the call of the gospel to make you alive as a person. Uh, I don't know if you realize, but that's basically what Jesus is doing. Over and over and over again, the theme of the gospel is Jesus calling people to life. Sometimes we've made the story of the gospel about being better people. Uh, we've made uh, Christian faith. Some of our friends who don't uh, believe or don't know what the church is would think that what we're doing here is working out how to be better people, uh, how we might improve ourselves. Uh, but the gospel is not self-improvement. The, do- the gospel is not bad people becoming better people. The gospel is dead people becoming alive people. And over and over and over again, when you come across Jesus and you meet him, what he's doing, he's calling out life. He's calling out life in people. Think about what happens in the story of Lazarus. What does Jesus do? His friend Lazarus dies and Jesus goes to the place of death. And what does he do? He calls out life. Lazarus, come out, come alive again. Um, think about the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. If you don't know that story, you should get to know it over and over and over again. There's so much in it. That's an amazing story of what God is doing in the world. But what does the father say when the son comes home? He says, we had to celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. Uh, do you realize you're part of a movement which is calling out life in our world? A few years ago, I had to... Um, I moved to a new church, not the one I lead now, but the one before where I was an associate pastor. And I had to do a presentation. I'd just moved to a load of young adults that I was leading, about 190, 200 young adults. And uh, and to be honest, I hadn't really prepared anything. And uh, I felt like God just speak to me and say, you know, uh, you know what to say. And I thought, I, I really don't know what to say, and they're all going to be there. <laughs> and, uh, and, but God reminded me of in Ezekiel 37, where uh, Ezekiel's told to call out life from the valley of dry bones. Are you familiar with the story? Uh, he's to prophesy. He says, Ezekiel say, God says to Ezekiel, go to the valley and say, come to life, bone to bone, bone to bone. And then he says, and now prophesy life over it. And then God reminded me in Ephesians where it says the gospel is about coming alive. And I felt like God said, look, this is the theme of your ministry. The theme of everything I want you to do here is about these two words, come alive. What are we doing? Uh, As individuals, we are people who are being called to life. uh, To be people who every year become more alive people. Uh, It's true that as we get older, this world will tell us that we're getting less alive. Uh, You know, the signs of old age will hit us eventually, although none of you right now, but eventually. And yet the gospel says this, it looks like we're heading for death, but really we're heading for life. We're becoming more alive, more forgiving, more loving, more hopeful, more gracious, more kind, year by year. That's the call. And that's what I feel God uh, gave me for ministry, but also uh, to call out life in the church. Uh, This amazing community of people who for 2,000 years have stood at the forefront in the fight against injustice. It was the church who led the way. 
uh, in the fight for freedom, it was the church who led the way. Uh, in the fight for better lives for individuals, it was the church who led the way. Uh, do you know that you're part of a community that's supposed to be filled with life? Uh, the calling on us is to, as individuals to come alive, but also in our communities to be alive. Uh, church should just be a celebration over and over and over again that we're dead people being made alive people. Uh, but then finally as well, to call out life in our communities, in the people we see around us. So many people are under burdens of unforgiveness, of hurt, of things that have happened to us. A uh, whole world, loads of places. And we're called as people to go out to those people, places and say, you know what, you're called to be alive. That's what we're trying to do in our church. We're trying to be individuals who are coming alive, a community who are coming alive, and a group of people who are saying to our world, to the people that we meet, the communities that we see, come alive. This is the call of the gospel, and that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to read from Romans 6, and we're going to read uh, these verses here. Uh, verse 8. That's good. It matches. It says this, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If we died, we believe that we also have life with him. Uh, what's your story of the gospel? If someone came to you today and said to you, uh, what's the gospel? What's the good news? I wonder if you might tell a story that goes something like this. God created the world and it was perfect. It was really good. And then, and then we messed up and then God sent his son and his son took the penalty of our sin upon himself and then now we can live again. Now that version of the gospel and that story of the gospel is, is good. It's, uh, it's something I would believe in. Uh, but I also think it misses something. It misses the idea because what it does is it implies that God was surprised when we messed up. It almost says, look, God made the world and it was really good. And then humans messed it up. And then God was like, oh my goodness, what should I do? Oh my gosh, it's all gone wrong. As though God didn't know that that was going to happen. And, so, and, then, and then what happens is, is we then tell a story, well, God has to solve this problem. So he sends Jesus to somehow solve the problem. And it sounds as though Jesus' plan B when we tell that story that way. It's almost as though we say, look, God made a perfect world and then he was surprised. But here's the thing, that isn't what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying over and over and over again, God knew. He knew we would get it wrong and yet he chose to make us anyway. Uh, the first version of that story that says, look, the world was perfect and really good. And then, um, and then we messed it up and then God was like, oh my goodness, there's a problem and sends Jesus. Uh, the first version of that story makes you the problem. Uh, but a different version of the story could be this. God made the world. And when he made it, he saw that if he made people with free will, they might walk away from him. But he chose that even though that was the risk, he would do it anyway. Even though he could see that that would be the thing that happened, there was a prize. And the prize was the thing he was making. And so he made the world in full knowledge that it would walk away from him and he would need to rescue it. And yet he chose to do it in Jesus. If you tell that story of the gospel, 
then you stop being the problem and you become the prize. Sin remains a problem, but you yourself become the prize. Uh, You're the thing he dies for. Uh, You're the prize he's trying to win. Our version of the gospel, we love to talk about original sin. I don't know if anyone's heard of that, the idea that we're originally sinful. And there's nothing wrong with that as an idea. But if you're going to talk about that, you must also talk about original blessing. Because before we mess it up, God says, very good. The first word spoken over you was not sinner. The first word spoken over humanity was very good. If you do that, then you change the whole story about sin on its head. Because sin stops being this thing that's on top of us. It stops being this thing that's overwhelming us all the time. And starts becoming something else. And that's what I want to explore with us today. The gospel has uh, two parts to it. We love to celebrate uh, at St. George's and we love to remember things. And uh, this is the idea that we wrestle with all the time. And this is the idea that the early church just can't get out of its head. There's been a resurrection. Turn to the person next to you and say there's been a resurrection. But sound excited, otherwise don't do it. Okay, some people sounded excited, some people just sounded angry and crazy, but that's fine. Um, There's been a resurrection. Uh, You know, the early church, the first few hundred years of the church, the New Testament is wrestling with one reality. There's been a resurrection, and what does that mean for us? Uh, This is the insistence of the early church. This is the insistence of our brothers and sisters who went before us. They say over and over again, look, this man Jesus... He was somehow God with us, God incarnate, God walking the earth. He died. But they don't end the story there. But then they say, and then there's been a resurrection. And the whole of the gospel, the whole of the letters to the church are wrestling with this reality. What does that mean for us? If we're a people who believe in resurrection, what does that mean for us? It means things like a death has been defeated, that we can be a people of hope, all these things. It's such good news. You see, the gospel has two parts to it. The first part is the part where Jesus dies. This is the story of our salvation. Here's a picture of my church at Easter. Uh, We put this cross outside. And um, we did it because, you know, the center of our faith is a cross. The center of our faith is that God comes to the earth to rescue us. That's what it says in this passage in Romans, that Jesus comes and dies to sin for us. He dies in our place. That's part of the story. It's it's central to what we're doing. We believe that God, in his mercy, in his choosing, right from the beginning when he creates the world, looks at it and thinks, I will have to go there in order to have these people. Uh, That's why we lit the cross up and put it outside our church. But you know, So much of our talk about the gospel and so much of our talk about faith ends there. We forgot sometimes the other part of the story. It's like if you've ever been to communion, you know, I'm guessing you guys have tried that. But you go to communion and sometimes I think like, guys, you know he rose from the dead, right? Because everyone is so serious. Everyone is so like really, really puts on their serious religious faces. You know, who knows what I'm talking about? Like you go in and you say some words and it's all really kind of somber and quiet and and a little bit kind of sad. And don't get me wrong, the cross is sad. The death of Jesus is a tragic thing that happens. But so much of our remembering of the gospel has focused on the death that sometimes I think maybe we've forgotten about the life part. 
You know, at St. George's, we take it seriously. But we take seriously as well that we're to be a people who celebrate resurrection. And we have a saying, we have lots of sayings on our staff team. One of them is this, celebrate or die. It sounds really dramatic, but it's true. Celebrate or die. We must be a people of resurrection. And so because we take that so seriously, here's our church on Easter Sunday um, morning. And I think it's, a good, it's been a good service if it takes a long time to clear up the floor. And uh, one of my uh, tests as a church is, do we celebrate Jesus more than we celebrate other things? Uh, you know, my football team got promoted uh, a year ago, and I went to, uh, went to celebrate. And I thought, here's the test of how good we're doing as a church. Will we celebrate Jesus more than we'll celebrate being promoted? Uh, will we celebrate resurrection more than we celebrate other things? Uh, one of the things that we must remember again is there's been a resurrection. Yes, there was a death. But that's only part of the story. And without the resurrection, it's no story at all. Uh, incidentally, this is what I love about this picture. Is these balloons are falling on um, these balloons, which I didn't obviously plan where they would fall. But they fall upon this guy who just really doesn't like what we're doing at St. George's. And, and there's a video and there's just like 300 balloons falling on him. I think it was the Lord's gift to me that day. Um, how do we be a people of resurrection? How will you be a person who lives in the new reality that what God is calling you to be is a person who's made alive? This is the gospel. That God, before the creation of the world, he looks and he thinks, I'm going to make something. And what he does is he sees that that thing will come with it, the potential to walk away. And he chooses beforehand to rescue it too. It's like when he makes you, he does this, Jesus. Jesus. With every breath that makes creation, he says, Jesus, Jesus. So that when we walk away and sin becomes the problem, we remain the prize. So that what we tell about the cross to our friends, to our neighbours is this. You were so valuable that even though sometimes it feels as though you cannot get it right, God still chooses you. And he chooses you before you even do those things. And He takes upon himself the consequences of your actions so that he can say yes to you. Uh, We have two children. Do you know, uh, one of them is seven, one of them is five. Seven years um, ago, so seven years ago he was born. And uh, before he was born, I knew two things. Uh, One, I knew that um, it would be amazing to have a child, but I also knew it would be difficult. Uh, I knew there'd be things that wouldn't quite work out. And seven years later, I can say it's true right? Uh, Having children is amazing and also really difficult. Uh, But even though I know the difficulty, and actually things have been more difficult than I thought they would be and more amazing than I thought they would be. Even though I know there's been challenges, I wouldn't change the decision. Uh, If that's what I'm like, imagine what God is like. So how do we be a people who live in resurrection? Well, this one verse here in verse 11 says this, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, we don't just have a gospel message that we're here to tell the world. We have a gospel message that we're to shape our own lives around, to shape our own identities around. And what does he say, Paul? He says this, in the same way, in the same way that Jesus died and is resurrected, you're to apply that to yourself. And first of all, he says this, count yourselves dead to sin and then alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin. Uh, We do have a sin problem 
We have a problem, and the problem is this. We would rather do things our own way. Uh, many of us feel as though we're overcome with this. How do we be a people then who can put sin in its right place? How do we be a people who can defeat the things that would try to defeat us? Um, I want to suggest this, that if we know our identity in the resurrection, and if we know there's been a resurrection, and if we know where the prize that God came to get, then our view of sin will change. Because the way lots of Christians view sin is this. Sin is trying to get me. It's, it's overcoming. It's on top of me. And, and so much of our thoughts are about how do I avoid being sinful. But what if we turned it on its head? And we said, you know, Jesus died for me. Uh, he's made me something. He's rescued me. He's made me free from that. Then sin wouldn't be on top of us, but sin would be below us. And if we want to be a people who live a holy life, our view of sin needs to change so that some things are below you. How do you defeat sin in your life? You think about it like this. Some things are below me. Some things I'm just better than. Why? Because I've been part of a story where God chose to rescue me, where I'm his prize. I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and he said to me, you know, I just can't, I can't overcome this sin. It's like it's trying to get me. And, it's like, and I said, well, you know, there's a, I gave him some kind of practical tips, but I said, one of the things we must do, though, is we must start remembering that some things are below our identity as Christians. Some things we're just better than because he rescued us. Uh, let me explain that some more. We have this thing called Lent in England where we, um, we all kind of fast. Well, in the early church, they used to fast fast. You know, like they used to give up food all week. But uh, in the 21st century, we just give up chocolate. So uh, <laughs> it's a lot easier. Well, you'd think it was easier. But, um, but you know, for me, I, I, uh, so last, uh, I always try to give up chocolate and sweets. And uh, so I try to give up chocolates and sweets. And, uh, and it's interesting because as soon as I give something up, all I can think about is the thing I've given up. So I gave up chocolate for like seven weeks. And all I could think about was chocolate. Like literally I would walk in the room and it was like the chocolate was like, hey Rich, how you doing? Uh, or like um, I'd go somewhere and, and I'd walk into a room, maybe it was like a lunch or something. And although there'd be sandwiches and crisps and kind of drinks and stuff, all I would see would be the chocolate. And he'd be like, hey, how are you doing? And, um, and what happened is, is my whole Lent became not about trying to live a holy life. It became about the thing I was trying to give up. It became that my thoughts were consumed by it. So that in the end, it was actually the master over me. Because all I could think about was how I was not going to eat it. Uh, interestingly as well, I, I got new rules for things. So like a bar of chocolate is chocolate, but a biscuit, like a cookie with chocolate on, is primarily a cookie. So you can have that. Or like a cake, is a chocolate cake is primarily cake. So you can have that. It's amazing how when we focus our lives on sin, how many things, how many times we'll try to play with the boundaries, how many times our thoughts will be consumed by it, how much our thinking about it will overcome us. It's particularly true, I think, amongst uh, young people and the people in our, in our culture because we're so sex-obsessed in our culture. It's particularly true in this way. Uh, so much of our, uh, our thoughts is like, I must not become somehow sexually impure. And so what we do is we create boundaries. How far is too far? 
if we're asking the question how far is too far, we're asking the wrong question. What we need to be asking is, is what's below me as a believer in Jesus? What am I too good to be involved in? Uh, we do it with drinking. You know, how much is too much to drink? If we're asking how much is too much to drink, we're asking the wrong question. Uh, the real question is this. Uh, as someone who's been given this identity, what's below me? What am I too good for as the prize of him? A whole conversation needs to change. We can turn it on its head and we can stand upon it. Uh, and I think that's more appealing to our world as well. I remember someone saying to me, uh, you're kind of crazy, Rich, because you don't believe in sex before marriage. I said, if you think I'm crazy, you should hear about the things that I think about Jesus. I mean, I believe someone rose from the dead. <laughs> if you think that's crazy, then like, you should hear some of my other thoughts. But I said, you know, for me, it's not about a boundary. It's not about... It's, about, it's not about uh, some things being good and bad. It's about saying, look, uh, I have a higher view of that. I have a higher view of sex. I have a higher view of myself. It's not that I'm under law. It's that I just have a higher view of these things. I just see them better. And I think in our world right now, there needs to be a people who see things better, where some things are below us, where some things we're just better than. And actually, as a culture, we're better than a lot of the things we're doing right now. We were made for so much more than what we're experiencing. Some things are below us. But how about the other side of that verse? Because it says, look, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. We've moved from death to life. Where are people who are moving from death to life? Let's have the next slide up. Where to come alive. This is the call on your life, uh, to become a person who day by day, year by year, is becoming more alive. Uh, so you're not overcome anymore by sin because you're becoming more the person you were supposed to be. What does God want from you? He wants you to be more you. He wants you to be more the person he planned and designed, that he destined for the world. Where to become alive with Christ, to become more in tune with who he's made us to be. Uh, let me show you this picture. This is a picture of um, a lady who, was, this was also Easter Sunday in our church, and um, we were baptizing someone. And um, she, uh, a few years ago, her husband, whoa, I almost fell off. Um, a few years ago, her husband um, left her just as they had a baby. She was part of a Christian community. And uh, her mom, shortly after her, her mom died of cancer. And it felt as though the whole world was against her. And she was part of a church that told her that it was her fault, that these things were somehow her fault. I mean, it's total rot, total nonsense. And uh, she joined our church when we planted in 2016. She's got a little boy as well. And on Easter Sunday, she shared the story of what God's done in her life. And she shared a story of how God had brought her from death to life. Uh, as an individual, she's becoming more alive. As people were saying it was your, her fault. That somehow she'd done something wrong, which is nonsense. But God called her from death to life. So that she now is a, she's now in such a better place. She shared her story on Easter Sunday. But you know some other things she's done? Uh, she's, she's, um, she's done things like she's shared um, a birthday party with a guy, guy who left so that their child can have a birthday together. It's an amazing story of grace. But also she's been on something called Restored Lives. And this autumn she'll run a course called Restored Lives for people who've been through the same things. 
Uh, why is that so amazing? Because not only has she been brought from death to life, but because God brought her from death to life, she's bringing other people too. Uh, part of our problem right now as a church, as a community, is we've forgotten what God has done. God made you alive. I think if the world could see a community of people who were like, look, we've just been made more and more alive. We've moved from death to life. Uh, our churches would become attractional again. Our communities would become attractional again. People would long to be part of them because everyone wants to be more alive. Everyone does. And so as we read this message, this is what we experience. First of all, that God in Jesus is making the world new. He's taking care of death for us. That's what's going on on the cross. But not only so, there's been a resurrection. We must be a people who celebrate. If we're not celebrating, what are we doing here? We must be a people who are rejoicing. Resurrection has happened. Death has been overcome. Our greatest enemy and our greatest fear defeated for us. God takes it upon himself. The great yes of heaven to us. No to our sin, but yes to us. But not only so, because of that, with Jesus, with him, we ourselves are now dead to sin. We have a new identity. Some things are below you. Some things you're better than. If you feel overcome by sin right now, like things just keep getting on top of you, here's the thing God calls you to stand on top of them. He says to you, look, that doesn't have mastery over you, I do. That isn't the word spoken over you. I'm the word spoken over you. If you think sinner is the word spoken over you, then hear a new word. The word spoken over you is Jesus. You've been moved. You're better than those things. But not only so, because we're dead to sins, that some things are below us, we're also a people who are to come alive. We're ourselves to experience resurrection. Uh, where ourselves to be people, where the dead places in our lives can bear fruit again, where the dead things can become life things, where we can be people who year after year are getting more hopeful, more loving, more kind, more gracious, more forgiving, we're more living in the identity we were given. And because of that, we're able to call out to our worlds, come alive too, come join me, come and find life like you never expected. This is the gospel call. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. That you, Lord, have stepped into the place of death for us. And there in the place of death on the cross, you called out life. Jesus said two things on the cross. He said, it is finished. And then he said, forgive them. And when he did that, he said, no, it is finished. He said, no to our sin. And when he said, forgive them, he said, yes to our future. Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the reality. But Lord, we thank you that you don't stay dead, that there's an empty tomb and a resurrection. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters today, I pray that we'd experience again resurrection power in our lives. That we would see the cross is empty. It's time for confetti and balloons and celebration. And Lord, for those of us who are overcome by sin right now, who feel as though sin has got the better of us, whether it's, uh, whether it's to do with things like sex or to do with drinking or other things, things that we feel about people. Lord, 
remind us that some things are just below us, that you've given us a new identity, that we're dead to sin, that it's not the master over us, that you're the master, you've spoken a different word. You don't say sinner, you say Jesus. And Lord, let us be a people who call out life. We pray that we would become more alive, that the person we've been made to be would flourish. But Lord, that we'd be people who call out life to our world. And would you be glorified. Amen.